I want to preach a message to you, and really the next three weeks leading up to Easter, we're just going to go all through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to look at encounters people had with Jesus, and after those encounters, what happened in their life, and so the title of this message is Jesus Changes Everything. Turn to someone next to you and say, Jesus Changes Everything. How many of you have seen that in your life, that Jesus has changed your life? For you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the grace of God, the mercy of God. Come on, anybody just thankful for his mercy and his grace? I wouldn't be on this stage if it wasn't for the goodness and the grace of God. When Jesus started his ministry, he, he announced in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and um, you could shout when you open your Bibles if you want to. Woo! Come on. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't come to preach bad news. He didn't come to preach condemning news. He didn't come to make us feel guilty for our sins. No, he came to preach the good news. He came to set the captives free. Jesus was disrupting the religious rhetoric of his day. All the religious people during the time of Jesus, they were constantly condemning people, pointing fingers catching people in their sins, making people feel, you know, terrible, making people feel like they could never measure up to God's goodness. But Jesus shows up and he shows up with love and healing and he eats dinner with sinners. And he makes the people who feel like they are the farthest from God feel like they have a seat at the table right next to God. He came to preach good news. He came to interrupt what the, what the world was speaking. He came to heal the brokenhearted. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't just come to forgive us of our sins, but he came to heal our hearts. I remember when I was younger and my sister bought this um, CD by a music artist named Crystal Lewis. How many of you guys remember Crystal Lewis? People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be. Come on. How many of y'all remember that? People get ready. It was like a 90s powerful song. Well, there was this other song on the, on, on the um, CD and it was a song about how she said, you're the healer of my broken heart. And I remember listening to it and just thinking, wow, the love that Jesus shows us, the power that he shows us in scripture, Jesus always ministered to the need beneath the need. He didn't just heal the leper, he touched the leper. He didn't just uh, heal the man with the, the shriveled hand, he said, your sins are forgiven. He didn't just tell the lame person you can walk again, he gave people wholeness, he gave people life, he brought healing to their heart. Because what good is it to cure someone's sickness when the real sickness is something deeper inside? What good is it to look good on the outside when the inside is still suffering? Jesus always ministered to the deeper need. I almost titled this message, The Need Beneath the Need. Because Jesus wasn't just into surface level satisfaction. He wasn't just into surface level healing. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He, he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Captives. People who were in the synagogue, they were in church, but they were still in captivity. It's crazy that you can be close to God, but still be in captivity. Still be captive to a world of sin. He came to give recovery of sight to the blind. People who thought they didn't need sight. But in reality, their eyes had, be, had become dirty. Their eyes had become plagued and they, they hadn't seen the world the way that God wanted them to see the world. They couldn't see themselves or others the way God wanted them to see. He said, I came to bring recovery of sight to those who've lost 
the ability to see what God sees. I came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus said, I came to proclaim this is the year of the Lord's favor. Come on, this is the year that God's going to show up and he's gonna change things for the better in your life. So Jesus came with the mission. He came with the focus. He came to bring healing and hope and life. And when Jesus started his ministry in Mark chapter one, it says that he went to the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. Mark chapter one, as he was out in the wilderness, he was going down into the water. John was baptizing him. It says in verse 10, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven open up and like a, like a dove, the spirit of the Lord descended upon him and a voice from heaven called out, this is my son. You are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Look how Jesus ministers from a place of identity. God was stamping his son with identity before there was any ministry, before there was any healings, before there was any sermons preached. This is Mark chapter one. Before Jesus did anything great, he already knew that he was loved by his father. So often in the church, we get focused on behavior before we focus on identity. Jesus focuses on the inside before he focuses on the outside. So we look at someone and say, why is he behaving like that? Why is he on drugs? Why is she such a, uh, why is she loose with all the men? Why does she keep going to guy after guy? And why does he do this? And why is he such an addict? And, why, and, and we, we address behavior. And unintentionally, we get focused on behavior modification. But Jesus was more focused on identity transformation. He wanted people to know that they are loved by God that they are accepted by God. They are, they are born for such a time as this. Jesus was able to minister from a place of identity because he knew he was the son of God. He was part of the royal family. Get him an interview with Oprah. Let's find out what's happening in the royal family. Spill the tea. Jesus would tell the whole world, there is a king in heaven who sits above all the kings on the earth. And that king created you. And he loves you. And he has a purpose for you. And you are not your addiction. And you are not your sickness. And you are not the condition you're in. And he would show up and he would change everything. The first miracle Jesus did in John was the miracle of changing water into wine. Jesus turned the party up. Everywhere he went, he changed things for the better. People said, usually we have the best wine first and the worst wine last, but you've saved the best wine for last. Jesus knew how to change things and make people better from after they had spent time with him. My prayer is that every time you come to church, that you leave better than you came in after being with Jesus. The purpose of, of, of gathering together is that we would understand the heart of Jesus, that we would understand the mission of Jesus, and that we would receive what he wants to do in our lives. So, so we're going to look over the next few weeks at stories that Jesus shows us people who encountered him and they left and they were changed and they were impacted. And one of my favorite stories is in John chapter four. And so in John chapter four, there was this woman who needed an encounter with Jesus. In verse one of John chapter four, it says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Hold up. Why does that even matter? <laughs> Why do religious people make a big deal out of things that don't really matter? Jesus was getting tired of the religious people that were constantly trying to pit him against John or trying to create teams 
or stir up drama or division or strife. Jesus didn't want to get into that drama. He wasn't interested in who was the greatest preacher or teacher, who baptized more people. In fact, Jesus called the religious people out more than he called anyone out. More than calling the sinners out, he would call out the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and he would say, you guys look for something bad. You're always on the hunt to try to catch me, whether it's healing on the Sabbath or loving sinners or eating dinner with Zacchaeus or, or doing something you think is religiously wrong. By the way, you'll always find what you're looking for. If you're looking for offense, you'll find it. If you're looking for something negative in the church, you'll find it because churches are imperfect. If you're, if you're trying to catch someone in, in the act of something wrong, you'll find it. But what if we switched from being Pharisees to being followers of Jesus? What if we were more interested in catching people in good acts instead of constantly trying to catch someone in the wrong act? Jesus told the Pharisees, stop. Stop. You look like if you're into cancel culture, you'll find anything to cancel someone over. If, if you're looking for offense in 2021, it's all over Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, CNN, ABC, NBC, wherever you turn on the TV or your phone, you can find something to get angry about. We're in the age of outrage. And that's just how the Pharisees lived. And Jesus decided, you know what? I'm not interested in these games. I'm not playing the games of cancel culture. I'm not playing the games of getting offended over petty little things. So Jesus went back to Galilee. And it says in verse 3, as he was going back to Galilee once more, he had to go through Samaria. Through Samaria. It was interesting that Jesus would go through a town where Jews were not welcome. Jesus is always willing to go to places that most people wouldn't go. He's willing to go into areas of our life that no one else will go into. He's willing to touch the places that no one else has touched. He's willing to address the mess that, that no one else knows about. Jesus is willing to go through Samaria. I'm so glad that Jesus is willing to go through the dirty parts. He's willing to go through the dark parts. He's not, he's not too embarrassed to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Now hold up. Jacob, Jacob was a deceiver. In Genesis, we, we, we hear the story about Jacob and Esau, that Jacob stole Esau's birthright, that Jacob was someone who was constantly deceiving, constantly doing things that he shouldn't have been doing. And, and, and yet Jacob was also the one that God decided to name Israel. I'm so glad that God can use the broken parts of our lives as a part of a testimony for other people's lives. God didn't reject Jacob for his mistakes, for his lies, for his deception, for his problems. God changed his, na his name, his identity. And, and, and Jesus is walking through a town where there happens to be a well that was given by Jacob to his son Joseph. So we have a, a family that has a history of brokenness, a history of dysfunctions, a history of lying and cheating and stealing and, and, and all kinds of mistakes. And it says this was Jacob's well. Verse 6, Jacob's well was right where Jesus was walking. Jesus was walking through a town where most Jews would never walk because Jews and Samaritans had a racial divide. There was prejudice there. They didn't get along with each other. They didn't drink from the same well. They didn't live in the same towns. They had separate neighborhoods. I'm so glad that God came to break racism and prejudice. I'm so glad that God came to interrupt where the world created classes and, and, and this group versus that group and these people versus those people. Jesus comes walking right through Samaria. 
I don't know what, what's going on in your life, but I know Jesus is coming right at you. He's coming right at you this morning. He's coming right to your home, right between you and your husband, right between you and your daughter, right between you and your ex, right between you and the person who hurts you the most. Jesus comes right through. He says, I know you don't get along with him. I know you were angry at her. I know you've been talking bad about them, but I came to heal the thing that really is going on. He always addresses the real need. And he comes, and, and, and Jacob's well is right there. This is important. The well was the place that everyone would go to get water. And, and, and water was a big deal. They didn't have pop back then. They didn't have Mountain Dew. They didn't have Dr. Pepper. They didn't have chocolate milk. Come on, those are like three of my favorite drinks right there. <laughs> so water was all they had, and, and the well was where they got it. Not just water to drink, but water to wash themselves. The well was a popular place. It was a place that people went, typically in the morning and in the evening, there would always be a crowd of people there. But Jesus happens to be walking there, and, and it says in verse 6, he was tired. Even, even, even great men of God get tired. He was exhausted. Maybe he was tired of the religious games that he had been pulled into. Maybe he was tired of just walking. Maybe he was tired of preaching. Maybe he was tired of the miracles. He was tired, tired from the journey. And he sat down by the well. It wasn't morning. It wasn't evening. It was the middle of the day. It was noontime. It was a quiet time. I like to go to the gym when nobody's there. <laughs> How many of y'all like to go, when you go to the gym, you just like to go when, when you're not going to see anybody? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like anybody watching me. I don't like anybody talking to me when I'm on the running machine or when I'm just staring in the mirror trying to lift a weight, seeing if it's working. It's embarrassing. I just want to go when nobody's there. So Jesus sat down at the well at noontime. It was a quiet time. And he sat there. No one was there at first. Why was he just sitting there? He was waiting on someone. He was waiting. He, he knew someone was coming. Jesus knew you were coming this morning. He got here before you did. He sat down in your row before you did. He sat and he waited. He waited. He waited for you. He waited until you would show up. Jesus has been waiting for you this morning. He's been waiting for you to be honest about what's really going on. He's been waiting for you to come into his presence. And all of a sudden, this woman shows up, a Samaritan woman. Jesus is not surprised. He's not surprised by what's going on in your life. He's not surprised by what you're walking through. He's not surprised by your condition. He's not surprised by your addiction. He's not surprised by what you face. He's not surprised by the current season in your life. And the Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So here he is all by himself, risking what people will think. What are they going to say? The teacher, the preacher is all alone with another woman. What is he doing? Why is he talking to her? Jesus is willing to risk 
Risk the embarrassment. Risk the accusations. Risk. Why? Because he cares more about your soul than he does the approval ratings of the disciples or the Pharisees. He cares more about helping people's souls than trying to impress people's religious boxes that we place on everyone. Besides, the religious people don't follow their own rules either. It's getting quiet in this charismatic church. And the Samaritan woman, she's trying to figure out, why is he talking to me? This is such a, a risky thing. What's he doing? And she says, why are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan woman? Look at verse, verse 8. Or verse 9, the Samaritan woman says to him, you're a Jew. Jews don't talk to us. Jews hate us. We have issues with Jews. And I'm a Samaritan woman. Not only am I a Samaritan, I'm a woman. You're a man. We're all alone. What's happening here? And, and how can you ask me for a drink? How are you? How dare you ask me for a drink? Jews did not associate with Samaritans, it says in, in my Bible. And it says Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus now is changing the conversation. He's saying, this well that you've come to get a drink from, it's not going to satisfy you. I do want to drink from it. And I know you need a drink from it too. The problem is once you get a drink from it, you'll want another drink and another drink, and another drink. But if you knew what I could give you, if you knew the man you were talking to, you would be asking me for a different drink. You would be asking me for a drink that can satisfy you way better than this broken man's sister. It is a broken man's sister. It was made artificially by a guy. And we all know guys don't always get it right. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns. They've dug Jacob's well and Isaac's well and Abraham's well and Paul's well and David's well and Daniel's well and AJ's well. They've dug all these wells. All these guys are digging all these wells and these wells are broken cisterns, and they cannot hold water at all. Why are you trying to get from a man what only God can give you? Why are you trying to squeeze out of a husband what only the groom in heaven is able to sustain and satisfy you with? Why are you trying to squeeze out of a wife? Why are you trying to squeeze out of a job? And when you're not getting it from a person, when you're not getting it where you think you're supposed to get it, you start going to all these other wells. And all these other wells are broken. I remember going on a mission trip to Rwanda. And while we were there, uh, we were driving down the street in a bus. And I saw this, this woman. She was carrying this big pot on top of her head. And, and I could see water kind of spilling out of it, left and right. But she was, she was good. Like, she didn't even have to hold the hand up. She just, she just walked it. It was, it was there. I was nervous just watching. I was like, what's going to happen? And, and one of the pastors who was on the bus with us, he, he lived there. He was a local there. And he said, oh, they, they've been raised since they were young to go to the well. 
and to draw water for their family. And they've been taught at a young age how to get the water and, and get it inside the jar, inside of the basin, and, and then how to balance it on their head and to carry it back home to provide water for their family. They've been taught this from their parents, their grandparents. This is, this is how it's done. It's a generational thing. I wonder if this woman, there's always a backstory to everyone's story, right? There's always a backstory. I, I read this book in college that someone gave me called Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. Anyone ever read this before? It's a great book. I read it when I was 20, and when, I, when someone gave it to me, man, it was so powerful. I couldn't put it down. It's like one of the thickest books besides the Bible that I've ever read. And I was so proud of myself that I finished it. And I cried all through it. And I underlined stuff. And, and it's a Christian book based on the story in the Bible of Hosea, how God called this prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. And every time uh, like the, he would show her love and kindness, she kept going back to the brothel and she kept on giving herself to more men. And God kept telling the prophet, keep on loving her, keep on going after her, pursuing her. And um, he said, through your marriage to her, through your testimony of loving her, you will show Israel how I have loved them through their prostitution towards other idols and other gods. And so this woman wrote a book based in like the cowboy times, 1800s of this guy marrying a prostitute and helping her walk in, in freedom out of that and loving her through that. Well, it was such a powerful book. And um, I like to read books over and over and over. So I picked it back up a couple months ago and I was like, I want to read a good book. And so I uh, I picked it up, and I, I remembered I skipped the, pre, the preface. Is it the preface or the preface? The, the preface. Whatever. I'm still learning English. The preface. Uh, I skipped it because I was like, it doesn't matter. I'm going to chapter one. That's where you start the book is chapter one. But this time I looked at the, the preface, and I thought, okay, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. It's like 45 pages long. I was like, I'll just read it. And man, did it teach me something. Chapter one starts with the woman already in prostitution. The preface tells me how she got there. There's always a backstory to the woman at the well. There's a backstory to Mary Magdalene. There's a backstory to Peter. There's a backstory to Caiaphas. There's a backstory to Jesus. There's a backstory. To Elijah, there's a backstory to Moses, there's a backstory to AJ, there's a backstory to Paul, there's a backstory to Ashley, there's a backstory to Rachel, there's a backstory. So often we look at someone's behavior and, and, and we forget there's a backstory. There's a preface. There's, and once I understand that, I'm less judgmental about the behavior. I'm more compassionate. And I think we should just be less judgmental anyways, because the less we judge, the more we can love, right? Jesus, Jesus knew this woman had a story at the well. For this, this girl, she had grown up with a very broken home. Watched her mom go back to a guy. Never really knew her father. And, and as I was reading, I was thinking, how often have we missed it? Because we didn't understand what their story was. Don't just judge your son's porn addiction. Understand the story. Because every addiction starts with an unmet need. And the unmet need starts at a young age. Just, just this last week, I was, um, I was laying our kids down. We, we took our kids to a wedding last night, and they loved it. <laughs> they, were like, they were like, I'm never getting married. <laughs> you know, they're four and five years old. They're like, we're going to live with you forever. 
till we're 100 years old, just us and you guys. I was like, mm, we're going to see about that. <laughs> we'll see. But we were talking, and I was, I was getting ready to lay down Beniah, who's five. And I'm in his room, and I, I feel this presence hovering behind me and turn around, and it's Liam, and he's spying on me. And when he sees me, he runs into his room. So I leave Benai's room. I go into Liam's room. I go, hey, what were you doing? He was like, I just wanted to see what you, you were saying to Benny. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, what did you say to him? I was like, I, I was talking to him about his day. And he goes, well, what, what did you guys talk about? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. He goes, well, are you going to talk to me as long as you talk to Benny? I was like, yes. And he goes, are you going to give me the same amount of time? I was like, yes. And he goes, do you love me as much as you love Benny? I was like, yes, I do. You know? <laughs> and so we sit there and I talk to them, pray with them. And it, and it dawned on me, I was like that as a kid. I would spy. When my dad would go into John's room, I'd get so jealous. I'd be peeking behind John's door and I'd be like, he loves John more than me. Why does he love John more than me? Why is he spending more time with John? I was possessive, right? Like I wanted my dad all to myself. Come on, how many of you guys were kind of like that as a kid? Ten of us in the room are going to be honest. The rest of you guys were perfect children. All right, fine. Well, for all of us needy people and thirsty people, I'll talk to us. All right. So I needed my dad's attention, affirmation, and I was craving. I was desperate for it. I wanted his approval, his acceptance. I wanted his attention. And I could tell, even just watching my kids, this is a generational thing. There is something here that I have to show the kids that no matter how much time or acceptance or love or attention or affirmation they get from me or their mom, it'll never be enough. At some point, we have to figure out that there is a well of living water that is deeper than our parents, that's deeper than our children, that's deeper than any job you could get or money you could make. I need another raise. I need salary. I need this. I need more coffee. I need more entertainment. I need another Netflix show. I need another drug. I need this. I need that. I need this. And it's never enough. It's never enough. I was, play I was at an arcade with Ashley and our kids a couple months ago, main event. And um, there's this machine where there's a claw and, and it goes down and it pulls up stuffed animals. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You put your coins in there. And, and so I had been watching. I had been studying it. I was like, I know exactly which stuffed animal is going gonna, is gonna to be lifted. I know where to grab it. So I was like, give me a dollar. So I stick it in there. I maneuver it. I get the crane right over it. Hit the red button. It drops down. Lifts it. And then it drops it. And I was like, ah, give me another dollar. Stick it in there. And I did it again. And it dropped it. I was like, oh, I know I'm going to get it. I know I'm going to I need another dollar. So I stick it in. <laughs> Coins, crane, again. And it's just doing it. And it, there's some sort of trigger connection with it. I'm like, I need another dollar. I need another hit. I need another hit. Give me another hit. Give me another hit. You know, I'm not, I'm not a gambler. Praise God. I'm not at the casino. But here I am at main event. And, and it's taking my money. And I get a stuffed animal, and I think it's going to be enough. And then I'm like, I need to get another stuffed animal for one of our other kids. So I'm like, and, and you know what? We wasted. We wasted money. We wasted probably $12, $15, and um, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that. <laughs> it was rough. I felt really bad. I'm sorry. A month later, we go back to the arcade, and guess who's running to that machine? 
Liam, my son. And he goes, Daddy, I got it. I'm going to get it. Give me a dollar. <laughs> sticks it in the machine. Sticks it in the machine, right? He's got this need. He's got this need. He's got this need. It's his well. It's Jacob's well. And, and Liam you know, turns it, hits the red button. The crane goes down, the claw, and it, it doesn't get it. I need another dollar. Give me another dollar. Because right, as, as our children see, they do. I think this woman at the well had watched her mom. She'd watched her mom. She'd watched her grandma. She watched her great-grandma. It's just, it's just what we do. It's just, that's how we do it. That's how we do it. That's how we fill our, our tank. That's how we feel affirmed. That's how I get attention. I, I dress like this because that's what my mom did. That's, that's how I fill up my... I, I flirt like this because that's what my mom... That's, that's how my dad... And that's just how we've been taught because that in order to get affirmation and approval and acceptance and attention and security, security, I need security. And so, so I got to keep going to Jacob's well because this is where I get it. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. And Jesus looks at the woman and he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would be asking me for a drink. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you better than the stuff we have here? It's 2021. We got technology. We got, <laughs> right? This is, this is now where we're getting our hits. Instagram. Ah, Jacob's well. Just going to keep on getting a drink. Another hit, another hit, but it's never enough. It's never enough. So we're on our phones. And, and she says, are you better than this, Jesus? Are you better? Are you better than Instagram? Are you better than fame? Are you better than the likes? Are you better than the comments? Because every time I get a comment and a like, it's like a, it's like a little hit. Just feels good. Just got to keep going back. I need another hit, another hit. Now, are you better than the drugs? Are you better than the porn? Are you better than all of this stuff? Are you better? Are you better than Jacob's well? Because our fathers gave us this. Our mothers taught us how to live like this. All of our families have been drinking from this well. We've been in the synagogue. We know how to put on the Sunday church face. And then go right back to Jacob's well on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And Jesus says this in verse 15, verse 13. Everyone who drinks, everyone who drinks from their phone will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks from technology. Everyone who drinks from the gram. Everyone who drinks from the stuff here. They're going to be thirsty again. They're going to be thirsty again. I remember I was on a missions trip, and um, it was really hot. And by the end of the day, I, I fainted out of dehydration. I fell out. And uh, it took me a while to come back, too. And when I did, I threw up. I was a mess. And, and the nurse was like, have you been drinking enough fluids? I was like, yeah, I've been drinking milk, you know, chocolate milk and Mountain Dew and Coke and Dr. Pepper. And she was like, you're drinking all the wrong stuff. No wonder you're dehydrated. You've been drinking all the wrong fluids. You need water. And not just any water, you need fresh water. Because you can drink certain water that's contaminated. You can ask Flint, Michigan about this. They had a, a water problem where something got into their water system and, and they were drinking water, but it was contaminated water. And you can survive for a little while off, off contaminated water, but eventually it starts to show in your behavior. You start having fever, you start 
seeing things, hallucinations, you, you eventually contaminated water can kill you if you drink enough of it over time. It steals years of your life. And the nurse said, you need fresh, clean water. You need really good and way more water than you think you need. Sometimes you need someone from the outside to tell you you're not drinking enough water. You forgot what water can do for you. You've gotten bored with water, but water is what's going to save your soul. You've gotten frustrated with water. You think water only works on Sunday, but it actually works on Monday, Tuesday, and Friday night too. It's better than the club. It's better than that guy. It's better than keeping that booty call on your phone. Come on, Jesus is coming for you. He's coming through Samaria. You've underestimated the power of water. You've forgotten what water can do for you. When you have a real revelation of Jesus, you know what you can ask from him. The level of, of, of how we know Jesus determines the level of what we ask and expect and receive from Jesus. Once you taste Jesus, you realize nothing else tastes as good as Jesus. Nothing else fully satisfies my soul like Jesus. He is more than enough. Jesus said, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again. I was walking with one of my friends, and um, we were walking down the street, and <laughs> we, were in, we were in another country on, on a mission trip, and we started hearing these whistles. And they started calling out, gringo! And it was these girls. I was like, I thought only guys did this to girls. But it was a group of girls, and they were, they were, they were out there on the street. They were whistling. They were calling out for me and my friend. And he goes, oh, those girls are thirsty. I was like, should we give them a drink? He's like, no, 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 like they're thirsty, thirsty. I was like, what kind of thirsty? He's like, Urban Dictionary thirsty. All right, so Urban Dictionary thirsty is eager, desperate, craving the attention from the opposite sex. Don't, don't go on Urban Dictionary too much. Just stay off of that. Just let me give it to you. Don't go looking for that. Don't get thirsty for the Urban Dictionary. And I realized there's so many people like this. We are thirsty for things that aren't satisfying. We're craving things that we think are going to fix problems in our life that only Jesus can fix. He says, whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When Jesus gets in your life, he changes everything. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. I'm craving this water. I'm thirsty. I need it. I'm desperate. Give me this water so that I don't have to keep coming back to Jacob's well. Please, let it start with me. My mom never got out of it. My grandma never got out of it. They were all addicted to Jacob's well. Please give me a break. Break the cycle in my family. Break the generational curse of Jacob's well off of our home. We've got to get this living water. That's what she was crying out for. That's what our world is crying out for. That's what your son is crying out for. That's what your daughter's crying out for. Please. The pain, the insecurity, the shame, it's kept us in the shadows. We've been living in the dark. And now we want the living water. He says, okay, I'll give it to you. Go get your husband and come back. She gets quiet. This is why she came at noontime. She didn't want anyone talking about her because she knows they talk about her. She's heard the rumors, the gossip. She's not naive. She says, uh, 
I don't have a husband. Let's not go there. Jesus says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Now, Jesus didn't say this to condemn her. He said this to save her. He said this to point to a need beneath the need. The jar is just an outward symbol of an inward condition. Inwardly, this woman had been going from man to man to man to try to fill a void that only Jesus could fill. The jar was a representative of her heart. And he said, this jar, you're going to a broken cistern and you're carrying a jar with holes in it, right? This jar has a hole right there. So no matter how much water you pour in it, I'm leaking everywhere I go. So by the time I get home, I've run out of patience. I'm getting flustered, I'm getting stressed, I'm getting strifeful, I'm getting divisive, I'm getting angry, I'm, I'm tempted to cuss because I got holes in the jar. Jesus says, I don't wanna just fix the cistern, I wanna fix the jar too. I wanna fix your heart. Your heart has holes in it from what your dad didn't do for you. Your heart has holes in it from what your uncle said about you. Your heart has holes in it from what they did to you when no one was watching. Your heart has holes, and when there's holes, you leak. You leak after Sunday. So by the time you get to Monday, you've run out of church, and you're trying to figure out, ah, I need another hit, I need another hit, and I can't wait till Sunday, I gotta have something. Jesus says, I wanna fix the whole thing. I wanna fix the whole thing. I wanna change the entire system in your life. He says, uh, the woman says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Let's change the conversation. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she says, I don't want to talk about my marriage anymore. I don't want to talk about my problems anymore. I don't want to talk about the men that I've been with. Let's talk about theology. Let's talk about church and worship. <laughs> and she says, uh, and woman, Jesus says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship. The Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. It's from the Jews, but it's for all mankind. Jesus would open the door for all of us to know him, to receive his salvation, his forgiveness. And he says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Can I tell you what Jesus was pointing to here is that worship is a well. Worship is a place where you can receive healing. It's in our time of worship that we begin to get filled with water, that God begins to, he begins to heal the holes in our heart. It's when I'm in worship that I can surrender to him. Don't underestimate the time we have in worship. It is not warm-up time for the preaching. It is the most powerful moment when we come together and we begin to open our hearts to God and we say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I worship you. Lord, I pour out my needs to you. Lord, I cast my cares upon you. It's in worship that God begins to saturate our souls. He begins to wash our minds. He begins to purify our hearts. Jesus says, I'm not looking for surface level worship because surface level worship only brings surface level satisfaction. I'm looking for worship that comes from the heart that's so pure and honest and vulnerable that you forget who's in the room, you forget who's watching, and you just surrender to me. And Jesus says, that worship is what the Father's looking for. 
the woman says, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. I know one day we're going to have a vaccine. And the cure is going to solve everything. It'll fix America. It'll fix China. It'll fix Brazil, Canada. There's a, there's a cure that's coming. And one day that cure will, will fix everything. And Jesus says, I am the vaccine. I am the cure. I am the answer. I'm the one that your soul needs. I'm better than your first husband, your second husband, your third husband, your fourth, your fifth, and the man you're with right now. I'm better than the websites you've been on. I'm better than the drinks you've been going to. I'm better than the drugs you've been addicted to. I'm better than the father who abused you. I'm better than the mother who walked out on you. I'm better better than the broken family that you've grown up in. And I understand why you've been going to Jacob's well. But look no further. The vaccine is here. Look no further. The cure is here. Jesus, on the last day of, of a festival in John chapter 7, he says, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. And living water will grow on the inside of you. In Revelation 22, the end of the Bible, he says, let all who are thirsty come unto me and drink the living water. Throughout the Bible, God refers to himself as the water of life, the fountain that we're looking for. Once this woman met Jesus, look at this in John chapter 4. Once she met Jesus, the disciples showed up. They, they didn't even ask why he was talking to this woman all by himself. And watch what happens in verse 28. Verse 28. It says, leaving her jar. Leaving her jar. Some of you need to leave the jar. Leave the addiction. Leave the thing that you've been holding on to, that you've been trying to fill those voids with. Some of you need to get rid of the jar. Oh, in Jesus' name, I'll, I'll buy all of you lunch. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just drop it softly this time. Okay, that's better. <laughs> so sorry. I'll get you McDonald's, I'll get you guys Burger King, get you something. Please forgive me. Red Lobster, I got you the cheesy rolls. We're gonna get it. Don't, don't be mad. There's something about the pieces though. There's something about the pieces that I can relate to. Because my heart's been in pieces before. Has yours? There's something about the broken pieces that God says, you can bring that. I can heal that. I can touch that. I see you. I hear you. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I forgive you. I can restore what the enemy tried to steal from you. I can restore the years back to you. I can restore the peace back to you. You feel like you're in pieces, but God says this is where the Prince of Peace shows up. He takes the broken pieces of our life. He takes the, the scars. That woman, after she was with Jesus, her whole life changed. She, she, she left the jar. She went back to her town. And she said, I found the Messiah. I found the one we've been looking for. I found the one we've been waiting on. He told me everything about my life, and he didn't judge me. He didn't reject me. He told me that he's the vaccine. He's the cure. He's the one that my heart needs. And the whole town came to Jesus. And at the end of John chapter 4, Jesus saves the entire town of Samaritans, a group of people who thought they would never be accepted 
by a Jewish carpenter, a Jewish man who was a teacher, a preacher, a miracle worker. But Jesus came to confront not just prejudice, not just racism. He came to confront shame. He came to confront pain. He came to confront the things that have kept you away from God, the things that have kept you at a distance from God. He says, come close. I want you to stand your feet all over this room. I love you, church. Forgive me for breaking the, the jar too hard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You want a Mountain Dew? I got you. I got the hookup. Jesus is here. His healing is here. His grace is here. His love is here. His power is here. His freedom is here. His hope is here. Whatever your soul needs, he's got it. Whatever you're thirsting for, he's got it. Whatever you're searching for, he's got it. I want us just to close our eyes all over this place. You can hear the sound of the broken pieces down here. <laughs> but I want us just to search our soul right now. What's broken? What's cracked? What's leaking right now? Where are you leaking? Where do you need a refill? Where do you need God to heal? Where do you need God to come in and, and close up the gaps and mend the broken cracks? Where do you need God to touch your heart? Where do you need Jesus to change something in your life? Because when he does change it, he changes it for the better. Whatever you need him to change, he's willing to do it. He's willing to go there today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you and you're saying, man, I need Jesus to change something in my life, in my heart, my mind, my relationships, my family. I need Jesus to change something. I need him. If that's you, just lift your hand up today all over this room. All who are thirsty, all who are tired, all who are heavy burdened, come, come and find rest. Come and find satisfaction. Come and find healing. You don't have to stay in that condition. If you raised your hand or you wanted to raise your hand, I want you to just leave your seat. If you just need to come to the altar today, just come find a place at this stage, at this altar right here, right now. It's an open, open altar. He's pouring drinks this morning drinks on him the father has what you're looking for he says i got what you need don't go back to that bottle don't go back to the pills don't go back to the websites don't go back i got what you need i have what you're looking for i can break the chains that have been holding you down i can break the cycles I can heal you of the, the sickness. I can heal you of the hurts, the wounds, the offense. I can heal you of that, that, that lack of love in your life, that thirst in your life. If you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. I want to get right with God. Come and join us at the altar. Come and find a place. Broken pieces right down here at the altar. This is where we get healing. This is where we get restored. This is where we get put back together again. Let's just take a moment. Let's just worship Jesus right here, right now.
captives free. Just a touch from you, Lord. He loves you. He loves you. He calls you his own. He forgives you. He's not finished with you. Mark 16, it says very early on the first day of the week, Mary, the mother of James and Mary Magdalene came with spices to anoint the body of Jesus, thinking he was dead still. Just after sunrise, while they were on the way to the tomb, they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Who will roll this stone that's so large, it's too big for us to roll? No man could roll it away. No woman could roll it away. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was so large, that was once placed over the tomb, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, 
sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. He said, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus who was once dead, but he is now alive. He was crucified, but he is risen. He is no longer here. He's no longer in the place you remember him. He's gone ahead of you. I was thinking about, as I read that, that whatever stone is in your heart, the same stone that was rolled away over that tomb, Jesus can roll the stones away out of your heart. You know, if, if you were to bring me a cup and say, say, Paul, I want some water. Can you fill it with water? And if I tried to pour water in it, but you had the whole cup full of little gravel rocks that you had gotten from outside, over time, you just kept on using that cup to take another gravel stone, another gravel stone. I would barely be able to get any water in there. We'd have to remove all the stones first before your cup could be used for water. And I don't know what gravel or what rocks or what things you've allowed in your heart, what hurts or wounds or things you've been holding on. Ashley said it earlier during ministry time, let it go. Let it go. Whatever the stone is, let Jesus roll it away this morning. Let Jesus remove the hurts, the wounds, the anger, the unforgiveness, maybe towards yourself, maybe towards a family member, maybe towards a church, maybe towards some people. But whatever it is, it's holding you back from living water. God says, I have fresh water for you. I have fresh water for you. And the thing in your life that looks impossible to remove, I can remove that stone. He still rolls the stones away. He still rolls away the stones. He still raises the dead back to life. He still gives sight to the blind. He still heals the brokenhearted. He still satisfies the woman at the well. He still takes care of the needs of your life. He says, just let me. I can do it. Lord, I just pray that you would touch every person's heart. I just feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to keep on ministering. So in Luke 13, there was a woman who was at a church service. She was in the synagogue, and Jesus was preaching. And it doesn't say she was on the front row. In fact, it says she was kind of far back. And she had been bent over for 18 years. For 18 years, her body had been bent out of shape. She walked around like this. She couldn't walk straight. And she came into the church and she was bent over. We don't know what happened. Maybe she had been hit by her dad. Maybe she was beaten by her husband. Maybe she was overwhelmed by her own mistakes and it just took a toll on her. Maybe she was in a, an accident. Whatever it was, it changed her outward behavior. For 18 years, she was stuck in this state. Someone in this room, you've been stuck for 18 years with this mindset, with this hurt, with this wound, with this condition, this addiction. It's, it's been eating away your energy, your time, your vitality. For 18 years, you've wrestled with this. Since you were in high school, since you were in third grade, since, since that thing happened. But it says that Jesus called her out. And when he called her out, he didn't call her by her addiction. See, everyone always called people by their problem, the lame man, the prostitute. But he says daughter, he says her name, and when he says her name, everything changed that day. You are not your addiction, you are not your divorce, you are not your condition, you are not what he did to you, you are not what she said about you, you are a child of God. When Jesus said her name, 
When he said her name, it was, it was like she was in a desert for so long and all of a sudden a cool breeze came in. It was like a drink of fresh water. My name. I'm not what they've said. I'm, I'm not my condition. I'm not my addiction. I have an identity. He says, daughter, you are loosed from that infirmity. Be loosed, daughter. Be loosed from that infirmity. And that day when Jesus spoke to her, it says that she straightened up her body straightened up it was something on the inside first she had to get it straightened up on the inside but once it was straightened all of a sudden the outside began to change i'm telling you when your identity gets gets healed when your heart gets healed all of a sudden your behavior starts to change jesus was dealing with the inner root he was speaking to her soul and he's speaking to you today woman thou art loosed you are healed you are set free you are no longer what you've done. You are no longer in that sin. You are no longer in that condition. You are no longer addicted to this well. You are no longer attached to this jar. You are free. You are free to worship, free to sing, free to read your Bible, free from shame, free from guilt, free to walk into church with your head held high, free to come into his presence with boldness to obtain mercy in your time of need. He's calling you. He's speaking to you. Lord, I just pray for every person in this room, God, that's been struggling. Any person in this room that's been hurting physically, mentally, emotionally. I thank you that you're the healer, the healer of the brokenhearted. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's, he's called me to proclaim good news. He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're healing today, healing the heart, healing the mind healing the identity of young boys, young girls in the room, older men and women. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for restoration, reconciliation. Where the enemies tried to divide families, I thank you that you're reconciling. You're restoring what the enemy tried to steal. You're going to get your years back. You're going to get your joy back. You're going to get your laughter back. You're gonna get your peace back. You're gonna get your brain back. You're gonna get your mind back in Jesus' name. The fog is clearing. Lord, I thank you that you change everything. Just say this with me, Jesus. I surrender to you. I repent of my sins. I receive your forgiveness, your grace, your healing, your salvation, your joy, your peace. Your love, you're more than enough for me. You're my healer, my redeemer, my deliverer. And I'm all yours, God. Change my life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, he's here today. He loves you.